So this morning we are, we're going to read and think about and walk through a, a neat little story in 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings 21, 1 through 21. You'll find it on the screen behind me if you've got it with you. You can follow along that way too. Um, again, just, this, just a, a neat little story for us to uh, think about this morning. Before we read it, let's pray. Uh, thank you, God, for your word. Um, for this book, for for once again giving us the opportunity to to listen to your voice. So come Holy Spirit upon us and help us to hear your voice. Call us. Shape us, mold us, draw us nearer to you. Amen. Sometime later, there was an incident. We're, going to call it, we're just going to call this an incident. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden. It's the new year. I'm looking to eat a little bit more healthy, so I want to grow my own vegetables since it's close to my palace, in exchange, I will give you a better vineyard. Or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. A lot going on there. We'll talk about it. So Ahab went home sullen and angry because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked, why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among all the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. Soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, the Tishbite, who's a prophet. Go down and meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you've sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I'm going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. We will go that far. Okay, so Happy New Year. <laughs> Whoa, what a horrible story. Like, why are stories like this even in the Bible? He's the king of Israel, and they're telling a story like this. Like, when they put the scriptures together, you would have thought, let's leave this one out. It's live. That's gross. I mean, why are we even talking about this? Why do we run through scripture stories like this? Right? Especially right now. I mean, we, this is the first time we're gathering together this is since we celebrated the coming of Jesus into the world because of love, because God loves us so much. And this is the story we're going through. I mean, we all just came out of you know, our holiday celebrations and we all had great celebrations, right? Anybody, anybody, did you have a great celebration? Anybody want to share? Like, what'd you do that was new? fun, different, or the same, but still fun. Anyone? No? We had 17 people in our house. You did. I was there. It was fun. It was packed. Yeah, lots of kids, a little smelly, but it was good. <laughs> but anybody, anybody else? want Anybody get anything that was great? Any presents? Yeah? It's here. A golf simulator. And I bet when you got it, you never got off it. You like played that for how many days straight? It was fun. That's cool. Anna. I love it. And you're wearing them today. You're, that's beautiful. I love it. Anybody else? Dude. Yes. My boys are excited. I'll bring them over later and you all can hang out. Anybody else? Anything? You know what I got from my sister? Underwear. It's not weird. I asked for it. Um, okay, maybe it's weird. Now I think about it. Arm, but armachillos. Have you, are, you, are you, yeah, Duluth Trading Company? It's like the best you can buy. Or at least in like our class, our station. In I'm sure there's better underwear you can buy, but for like... People like us, this is probably the best that you can buy. Love it. Um, so we did. We all had great celebrations, right? Most of us probably took some time off from work. We took some time off from school. Uh, we changed our routines up because we, we, we know that there's something in us that knows that changing up your routine and taking a little time for rest is, is something that's good. We, you know, Sabbath, we, we all experienced that. We probably, we probably spent some time eating too much. We probably spent some time staying up more than on one, more than one occasion. We probably stayed up too late. We gave gifts. We got gifts. We spent time 
you know, playing with the stuff that we, we got. Our family put together two puzzles, uh, and that was fantastic. Actually, Renee and I pretty much put together two puzzles. The boys did some work here and there. We watched a couple of movies together. We watched Elf, because this is the only time of year you can watch the movie Elf, which is an amazing movie. Uh, so we all had these great celebrations, right? So coming out of all of that, coming out of that season, we all feel really good, right, about listening to and thinking about a story in the Bible. It's all about greed and lying and cheating and murder, right? It's the perfect time for a story like this that deals with one bad decision that leads to another bad decision that leads to an even worse decision that leads to an even worse decision. It has this sort of multiplying effect to it. It just gets way out of control super quickly. It's the perfect time for a story like this, right? Coming out of that season, actually, I think it is. I think it's the perfect time for a story like this one. And I'll tell you why later. That's at the end. So, teaser. Now you have to pay attention. Okay, so let's just walk through the story. It all begins with Ahab. And there, in Ahab's greed, he wants more. He wants Naboth's land. But Naboth is bound by religious law and cultural law. He's bound to that land. He can't give it up. He's forbidden to give it up. Listen to what he says. He can't exchange it. He can't sell it. He can't give it up. He says to Ahab, the Lord forbid, religious law, that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Now we've got some cultural law going in here. So he's just stuck. He can't do it. Like there are realities in place that make it impossible for him to do. Religious law, cultural law, he's not going to do that. So obviously disappointed by Naboth's Refusal. Ahab's, Ahab's greed leads to what? Sulking and whining, right? He's walking home from Naboth's vineyard back to the palace, and you can almost hear his whiny voice making fun of, I won't sell you my inheritance. I won't give it to you. Blah, blah, blah. You can kind of hear his voice say that. He's sulking. That then leads to this other thing, lying. He doesn't tell the truth to Queen Jezebel. She comes home and she asks him why he's sulking and whining, why he won't eat. And listen to what he says. Because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. What? That's not what he said. He didn't say that, not exactly. Ahab left out the religious law, and the cultural laws that forbid him from selling his land. Naboth actually said, the Lord forbid, religious law, that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers, which is the cultural law part. So it's a little white lie. What can it hurt? Well, then Queen Jezebel, she's not an Israelite. So she doesn't know Hebrew law. She doesn't know Israelite law. She doesn't know cultural law. So what does she do? Oh, nothing much. Conspires to commit murder. Not a big deal, right? Sweetie, relax. I'm going to get that land for you. So she assumes the identity of the king, which is a form of lying, writes letters, sets up Naboth to be accused of treason by two completely bogus witnesses. 
So conspiracy to commit murder leads to the lying of witnesses, then leads to actual murder. So Naboth is killed, stoned. So from greed to murder, just like that. Greed to murder. Ahab's greed, let's follow it. Ahab's greed sort of gives birth to this sulking attitude. His sulkiness leads to lying. Lying then leads and gives birth to conspiracy to commit murder, which gives birth to more lying by the scoundrels, which gives birth to murder, which gives birth to the stealing of Naboth's land. And all that happens in like, in like the blink of an eye, at most a couple of days, from greed to murder. That's all it took. Boom. One day, Naboth is happily living his life, and like a day or two later, gone. Dead. Just like that. Crazy. Horrible. Terrible story. But it doesn't surprise us, does it? Stories like these? It doesn't surprise us at all. Not one little detail in this story surprises us because this story is sort of a representation of a fundamental reality. A truth that is just, we just know it to be true. And we don't like to use this word, but we're going to use this word. Sin gives birth to sin. Sin typically leads to more sin. Gives, it like has this multi, multiplying effect to it. And it doesn't always have to start with greed. Although if, if, if we're looking to make a mess of our lives, that's probably as good a place to start as any. But it can start with anything. It can start with the three that we mention all the time, lying, cheating, stealing, right? Self-importance, self-righteousness, lust. That list is on and on and on. It's like Lay's potato chips. You can't eat just one. Or Pringles, once you pop. Can't stop, Right? Can, can you think of, a, can you think of a, a, a better analogy to sin than potato chips? Like, you just got to have it. You got to have more. So once you start, it's hard to put on the brakes. And before long, we sort of get caught in a, in a downward spiral, or it's, a, it's like a, a cycle that's hard to break. So there's this guy named Cornelius Plantinga. I've talked about him in this book before. Uh, but he, for a long time, was president and professor of systematic theology at Calvin Theological Seminary. He wrote a book a few years ago, um, actually a couple of decades ago, um, called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. It's this delightful little book. It's about 200 pages, and it's, and it's dedicated completely to the topic of sin. The whole book is about sin, not the way it's supposed to be. So, if you're uh, looking for a light read, uh, I've got it. You can borrow it. You'll probably read it in, in a couple of days. And uh, it's really interesting. <laughs> in the book, he sort of gives, gives some, some examples of how sin multiplies itself, how it becomes this cycle, this downward spiral. I'm going to read them to you. He says this. First, so he just makes up examples and gives them to you. First, a fifth grader gets caught stealing a classmate's stereo, a couple of decades old. Right now it would be a phone, an iPhone or a Samsung Galaxy or whatever. So, a fifth grader gets caught stealing a classmate's stereo, then lies about it. I just wanted to know what kind of batteries it took. That's all. 
And then he lies about his lie. I'm telling the truth. So one thing leads to another, leads to another. Here's another one. A junior high school boy gets toughened up by his father. So he's abused. He then thinks he's tougher than all the other boys at school. Especially the ones who haven't gone through puberty yet. So he bullies them, calls them names, crushes their protests back into their faces with his fists. One thing, another, another. Here's the last one. A high school girl watches TV instead of doing her homework. Dad walks in and gestures to the unopened books. She ignores them. The next day, because she didn't study, she cheats on her final exams. Then, feeling irritable about it, she gets drunk with her friends, gossips about people she doesn't like, and with her blood alcohol levels still rising, she aggressively drives her parents' car home, so aggressively that when she gets home, she drives it partway through the back of the garage. And afterwards, she doesn't feel like studying. It's like that book when you give a mouse a cookie, Gets back to the cookie. It's true, isn't it? it, it these, these things have this multiplying snowball effect to, to them. Like we know this, we've experienced it. It's so true that maybe we're thinking about ways in which this has played itself out in our own lives. Sin becomes a downward spiral, it's like this cycle that becomes impossible to break. It's a cycle that we're all caught up in, right? Because our own, the ways in which we make a mess of things rarely affect just our own lives, right? The ways in which we mess things up break our relationship with ourselves, our relationships with our family, our friends, the world, our church, with the one who made us. It's a sad and bleak picture that often ends in the death of something, like in, in the story, literally Nabus dies. But in our lives, sometimes it's death of relationships. Sometimes it's the, the loss of things. It's the, the death of a job or whatever. It, it, it almost always leads to the death of, of something, like it did in our story. It led to the death of Nabus. And then eventually Ahab and Jezebel, too, if you read the rest of that story. Well, in the New Testament, there's a guy named Paul. Maybe you've heard of him. He wrote this, the wages of sin, the consequences, the result of sin is death. Is death. I can think of no better story in the Bible that, that illustrates this than the one we read. So if sin gives birth to sin, if it's kind of this multiplying effect to it, are we just out of luck? Like, is that it? Like, I guess we're all doomed? Like, if this is a cycle, how do we break out of it? How do we, how do we end it? How do we step out? Well, fortunately, a guy named Jesus came into the world. How many of you knew I was going to go to Jesus. Jesus came into the world. By his life, he showed us exactly what God is like, and he showed us what it looks like to be a 
human being. He showed us truly how to live. Then he was crucified, died, was buried, and then he was resurrected. And that changed everything. The same guy who talked about the wages of sin being death also wrote this. I have been crucified with Christ. As I, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. In other words, we have to beat sin to the punch. We have to die before sin kills us. I no longer live. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Think about what he's saying. When Jesus died on the cross, you in some way were there, dying with him. When Jesus died on the cross, I died there too. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. That's how this cycle gets broken in our lives, by allowing the resurrected Jesus to live in us and transform us and live through us. That's why spiritual disciplines are so important. Because they, they nurture our relationship with the resurrected Jesus who lives in us. Spiritual disciplines are things like worship, silence, praying, fasting, Bible study, studying, and so on. Every time we engage in a spiritual discipline, a little more of ourselves die. It dies, and we allow Jesus to to live more fully in us and through us. We become more like him. So one of my... As I think about my life, one of my biggest regrets in my growing up years, like I'm over it now, I'm fine, I don't need to go to therapy over this, I'm, I've, I, this is not that big a deal, but maybe I do. Um, my, one of my biggest regrets was quitting piano. Like, I, how long did I play, Mom? Three years? Four years? I don't know, something like that. I quit. I quit playing piano. Does anybody want to guess why? Any guesses? So louder. Practice. I hated practicing. I would sit down in front of that. I have vivid memories of this. And we had a little timer we had put on. Like one of those kitchen timers. So annoying. That thing was so slow. You put it on for a half hour, it took an hour. Those things would lie. They're not true. It's not 30 minutes. That was 60 minutes. I, I have vivid memories sitting down at the piano thinking, this is dumb. This is pointless. I don't want to do this, but I don't need to do scales. I know the scales. Why do I need to practice? And what's funny about it is we actually had a conversation yesterday morning with our own boys about doing things like scales and playing things like the trombone and the, the viola and the, the violin. And, and anyway, like there's something about doing these, these seemingly meaningless things over and over again that gives you the skill 
to become better at what you do, right? We, we know this. I hated it, and I quit. And I can't help but think, if I had just stuck with it, if I had just stuck with it long enough, I was probably at the place where I would have, I would have sort of broken through that, that place where you're like, this stinks, this is meaningless, and it's dumb. I was probably right at that place where if I had just stuck with it a little bit longer, I would have broken through and gotten to the place where it was like, oh man, I'm good at this now. I never got good at it. I couldn't get my left hand to do what it was supposed to do when my right hand was doing what it was because it was different. I couldn't, my brain wasn't working, and I was like, I'm done. I regret that. I wish I, I don't blame you guys, by the way. Like, you let me make the decision. I appreciate your, I don't want you to live with that guilt. I just, I don't. But we know this, right? Like, we do these seemingly things, these things that seem like they don't matter. But when you do them enough, it gives you the skill. Like we know this with music. We know this with athletics. We know this with literally everything in life. So every single time we we engage in these spiritual disciplines, things like worship, silence, fasting, praying, study, the more we do that, the, the little piece of us dies and the more we allow Jesus to live in us and through us. We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Isn't that, in some, in some way, that, that's one of the reasons why we gather here every Sunday, right? That's one of the reasons why we tune in on Facebook and we watch. It's one of the reasons why we come here. We come here to die a little so that Christ will live in us and live through us a little more fully out in the world. It's one of the ways we sort of break this cycle in our lives. Dying a little every day through things like spiritual disciplines is how Jesus helps us avoid the ultimate death. I can't help but wonder, what if Ahab, instead of after talking to Naboth, what if he'd just gone back to the palace? He's the king of Israel who in their thinking represents God to the nation of Israel. He's got some sort of special connection there. What if he had just gone home and prayed and talked to God about it? I wonder if, I wonder if none of that would have happened if it would have just stopped the cycle right there. I wonder. I don't know. So it's New Year. Right? It's a new beginning, a new start. Have you made resolutions? Anybody make any resolutions? Jack did. He's going to practice golf more. Am I right? No? <laughs> it's that time of year, right? Where we start thinking about our lives. We think about the, we think about the year we just had, and we think about the year that's coming, that we're, we've now just begun. Sometimes we think, oh, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exercise a little more. I'm going to eat a little better. I'm gonna... We make these decisions about our lives, and we think we're going to change everything. Well, why not, why not think about our own, our own walk with the divine, our own relationship with the divine? Why not, why not lean into a spiritual practice, maybe one you've never tried before? Or maybe, maybe it's just, you know what, I'm just going to learn about some spiritual disciplines because I really don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I've heard about these things, but I just don't know. So 
maybe I'm gonna maybe I'm just gonna learn about them and and maybe pick one up. So it's it's the new year. Why not why not lean into lean into that because we've all we all know that this, we get stuck in these cycles, and we know that that we have patterns of behavior that that are destructive and they're hard and they're difficult. And but maybe this is one of the ways that we can sort of bring some health into our lives by by leaning into the divine. Just give it some thought. That's all I got. Let's pray.